And the scientists were all saying, look, it's not a matter of if we're going to get hit by an asteroid or something like meteor. It's when. It's when. It's going to happen. Now, we see in the book of Revelation, I think twice, something hits the earth. John describes one of them as a great, something that looks like a great mountain burning. And it hits the ocean and destroys a third of life in the ocean. I mean, it's going to be a pretty... Unbelievable time of cataclysm and upheaval. And uh, these asteroids, and you remember several years ago, I think five or six asteroids hit the planet Jupiter. Uh, they actually filmed it. We had um, a probe uh, circling uh, Jupiter. And we, we were able to, to actually, they were actually able to video these things hitting Jupiter. They left quite uh, an impression, and um, I forgot if it was they, they actually changed in some way its rotation, or it was pretty devastating. If these asteroids or meteors are big enough, they could really mess up the Earth's rotation or even the Earth's tilt. At one point, we're going to read that something happens to the Earth where the sun doesn't shine for a third part of the day, nor the light of the moon a third part of the night. What does that mean? It could very well mean something happens to the Earth's rotation where instead of a 24-hour day, we have what? Like a 16-hour day? Turn to Isaiah 24. I think Isaiah is describing this very thing. In Isaiah 24, verse 19, it says, The earth is violently broken. The earth is split open. The earth is shaken exceedingly. The earth shall reel to and fro like a drunkard and shall totter like a hut. Its transgression shall be heavy upon it and it will fall and not rise again. Are we talking about something literally happening to the earth's tilt, to the earth's rotation? I think it's very possible. John said in verse 14, Then the sky receded as a scroll when it's rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. Somebody has said that when Mount St. Helens exploded, it was equivalent to, to a 50 megaton warhead. One of our Calvary pastors happened to be living in the area at that time. And he said that for days the sun was blacked out with the uh, falling ash and the moon at night looked red. This could be some kind of a natural disaster that God brings or... It could be describing some kind of a nuclear exchange that leads to some kind of a nuclear winter. We don't know. It could be a combination of both. When John says he saw the skies, it looks like it was receding like, you know, just like a scroll. Think of that mushroom cloud that's produced when uh, a nuclear bomb is detonated. I mean, is John describing something like that? We don't know. We do know that natural 
disasters could be pretty devastating. Back in August of 1883, when Krakatoa, the volcanic island in the Pacific, exploded, they say the the explosion was so powerful it was heard 3,000 miles away. It changed tides 7,000 miles away in both directions, which meant it covered more than half the circumference of the earth in the way it changed tides and sent tidal waves for 1,500 miles and changed the weather of the earth for two years. And that's just one volcanic eruption. I think the book of Revelation is telling us that that's going to look like a firecracker compared to what's coming. Verse 15 says, And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave, every free man, hid themselves in, in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Isn't this interesting? Where are the redeemed at this point? Where are we? We're up in heaven doing what? Praising the Lord, the creator of all things. What are these people doing? These unbelievers, these earth dwellers, where are they? They're on the earth and they're praying to the creation. Just like Paul said, they do not want to worship and serve the creator. So they go ahead and they worship and serve the creation. I mean, instead of praying to God, turning from their sins, they would rather pray to the earth. Mountains fall on us. Rocks kill us. Hide us from the face of the Lamb and from His wrath. For the great day of His wrath has come. And who is able to stand? Now, I want you to notice something. Verse 17 says, For the great day of His wrath has come. And who is able to stand? In the Greek... Verse 17 literally says, For the great day of his wrath has already come, not is about to start. And I say that because those in the pre-wrath camp say, Well, what we have here now is these signs in the stars, the moon, the sun, they signal the beginning of the wrath of God. That's not what the Greek is saying. It is not saying the wrath of God now is about to start. It's already come. It's already been here. Literally came. In other words, the wrath of God has been poured out upon the earth ever since the first seal. All the way through the first four seals, the coming of the Antichrist was also part of God's wrath upon this earth, a part of his judgment. Turn to Isaiah 34. I want to read the first four verses which says, Come near, you nations, to hear, and heed, you people. Let the earth hear, and all that is in it, the world and all things that come forth from it. For the indignation, the wrath of the Lord is against all nations, and his fury against all their armies. He has utterly destroyed them. He has given them over to the slaughter. Also their slain shall be thrown out, their stench shall rise from their corpses, and the mountains shall be melted with their blood. All the host of heaven shall be dissolved, and the heavens shall be rolled up like a scroll. All their hosts shall fall down as the leaf falls from the vine, and as fruit falling from a fig tree. Language sound familiar? Verse 8, for it is the day of the Lord's vengeance or wrath. The year of recompense for the cause of Zion. It is the day of the Lord. It's not about to start. Those things have been part of the day of the Lord judgments. 
Now, scholars point out that the sixth seal is based on the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 2. Turn there. I want to read you, starting in verse 10. Isaiah 2, starting in verse 10, it says, Enter the rock and hide in the dust from the terror of the Lord and the glory of His majesty. The lofty looks of man shall be humbled. The haughtiness of men shall be bowed down. And the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. For the day of the Lord of hosts shall come upon everything proud and lofty, upon everything lifted up, and it shall be brought low. Upon all the cedars of Lebanon that are high and lifted up, upon all the oaks of Bashan, upon all the high mountains, upon all the hills that are lifted up, upon every high tower, and upon every fortified wall, upon all the ships of Tarshish, and upon all the beautiful sloops, The loftiness of man shall be bowed down, and the haughtiness of men shall be brought low. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day, but the idols he shall utterly abolish. They shall go into the holes of the rocks and into the caves of the earth from the terror of the Lord and the glory of his majesty when he arises to shake the earth mightily. In that day a man will cast away his idols of silver and his idols of gold which they made, each for himself to worship, Uh, to the moles and bats, to go into the clefts of the rocks and into the crags of the rugged rocks from the terror of the Lord and the glory of His majesty when He arises to shake the earth mightily. Isaiah was prophesying about what John is actually seeing here. When Jesus breaks the sixth seal, John begins to see what Isaiah prophesied about. Isaiah said in verse 12, that he is writing about the day of the Lord. And he said in that day, verse 20, people will go into the clefts of the rocks and into the crags of the rugged rocks to hide themselves from the terror of the Lord and the glory of his majesty when he arises to shake the earth mightily, verse 21 tells us. Listen, the language of Isaiah's prophecy indicates that the sixth seal is within not before the day of the Lord, and therefore it's involved in the day of the Lord wrath. I just want to lay that groundwork because a lot of people are confused on this. They want to make the first three and a half years not really a part of God's wrath. I think it's pretty obvious it is. Now you say, well, why did they wait to the sixth seal then? The people of this earth to declare the day of the Lord is already here. Why, why did they wait that long? Well, as some have pointed out, it could be that it wasn't until the cosmic disturbances of the sixth seal that they realized that everything they had been experiencing through the first four seals, of course, they didn't know it was the four seals. We know it was God's judgments. They didn't know it was God's judgment until the sixth seal was broken and there were these signs in the heavens. And then it finally dawns on the people of this world. Guess what? All of this has been from God. These are all judgments from the Lord. And how do they finally recognize that? I believe because of all the believers in the tribulation period that have been preaching to them that what they have been seeing so far with the coming of the Antichrist and all the wars taking place and the famines and the disease, that this was a part of God's wrath. How did the world respond to these believers? The fifth seal says they were martyred. The world did not want to hear it. They didn't want to come to the realization that they were being judged by God. Isn't it just like man to write off God's judgment? You know, I really believe 
that 9-11 was God removing his hand of protection from America to try to get our attention. And I realized that in the process, godly people died. Many Christians died in 9-11. It wasn't God's wrath against them or anything. It was just God removing his hand of protection to get our attention. And initially, you know, we saw the people going back to church and we saw our leaders on the steps of the Capitol building, you know, holding hands and singing, you know, God bless America and Kumbaya and whatever they were singing there. And that didn't last very long, though, did it? And pretty soon man got right back into his old evil ways. Man doesn't want to hear that God judges sin. And so I'm convinced that during the first Three and a half years as God has beginning as God has been pouring out his judgments. No, they're not the great judgments we see come later on, but he's definitely judging the world. And believers during this time, not the church of course, but tribulation saints who are trying to tell the world, look, God is judging you, and guess what? It's not going to get any better. It's going to get a lot worse. Repent now. What do they do? Fifth seal, wipe them out. And so we see them under the altar, crying out, How long, O Lord, until you avenge our blood on the people on this world? Now, verse 17 says, For the great day of His wrath has come, or has already begun. Who is able to stand? I want to spend a little time tonight talking about something that the the Bible calls in many places the day of the Lord. I think it's foundational to understanding what we're talking about, or as we progress in Revelation, it's, it's, it's important that we understand this phrase, the day of the Lord. If we're going to really understand what's going on. The term day of the Lord is used very clearly 19 times in the Old Testament. It's probably uh, referred to many other times uh, by simply the words that day or different other phrases, but the day of the Lord is a phrase that appears 19 times unmistakably in the Old Testament and four times in the New. Acts chapter 2 verse 20, which is actually quoting Joel 2.31, 1 Thessalonians 5.2, 2 Peter 3.10, and 2 Peter 3.12, where it's called the day of God. It is referred to as the day of wrath in Zephaniah 1 verse 15. The day of darkness in Joel 2, verse 2, and Zephaniah 1, 15. Let me quote to you one scholar, Renald Schauer, says, The day of the Lord refers to God's special interventions into the course of world events to judge his enemies, accomplish his purpose for history, and thereby demonstrate who he is, the sovereign God of the universe. Now, I want you to be clear on something, because if you don't get this, you're going to be confused. The Bible indicates that there have been numerous Day of the Lord judgments that have happened in the Old Testament, where God raised up various nations to judge other nations. We see that God raised up Babylon to judge the southern kingdom of Judah in the 7th and 6th centuries B.C., We also read in the Old Testament how that God used Babylon to judge Egypt and Medo-Persia to judge Babylon in the 6th century B.C. In fact, in Ezekiel, we read just just one example of this in Ezekiel 30, verses 2 through 4. God is saying to Ezekiel, son of man, that's a title for Ezekiel, prophesy and say, thus says the Lord God, wail, 
Woe to the day, for the day is near, even the day of the Lord is near. It will be a day of clouds, a time of the Gentiles. The sword shall come upon Egypt, and great anguish shall be in Ethiopia, etc. The point I'm trying to make is that sometimes when you read in the Old Testament the day of the Lord, it is often referring to a local judgment that God was going to bring on one particular nation using another nation, all right? But in so doing and calling it the day of the Lord, it was actually foreshadowing a future day of the Lord that would come upon the whole world. And in fact, if you study this carefully, often in the same passage where God is using, there's talking about bringing Assyria to judge Israel or Babylon to judge Judah, or using another nation to judge Egypt or somebody else. As you're reading the passage and it's talking about the day of the Lord, which meant a local judgment back then that was coming, all of a sudden as you're reading the passage, it kind of scopes out into the future. And all of a sudden now God's talking about judgment coming upon the whole world. And you realize, wait a minute, aren't we talking about judgment coming upon Egypt or Assyria? Well, yes. But all of those day of the Lord judgments that were local and historical all pointed forward to a future day of the Lord, the one that we most commonly think of, the one that is coming upon the whole world, a time of judgment. In fact, turn to Isaiah 13. I'll show you one passage where this occurs. In Isaiah chapter 13, starting at verse 6, we read, Wail, for the day of the Lord is at hand. Now, of course, God speaking in Isaiah's day, This would have been a local judgment. It's at hand, all right? It's coming. It will come as destruction from the Almighty. Therefore, all hands will be limp. Every man's heart will melt. And they will be afraid. Pangs and sorrows will take hold of them. They will be in pain as a woman in childbirth. They will be amazed at one another. Their faces will be like flames. Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel, with both wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate, and he will destroy its sinners from it. For the stars of heaven and their constellations will not give their light. Now all of a sudden, it's like we're talking about something different. A judgment that goes beyond anything that Isaiah saw in his day. For the stars of heaven and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be darkened in its going forth, and the moon will not cause its light to shine. Sounds like the passage in Revelation 6, doesn't it? Verse 11, I will punish who? The whole world for its evil. This is an ultimate day of the Lord judgment that is yet future. And the wicked for their iniquity, I will halt the arrogance of the proud and will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. I will make a mortal more rare than fine gold, a man more than the gold, uh, the golden wedge of Ophir. Therefore I will shake the heavens, and listen, the earth will be moved out of her place in the wrath of the Lord of hosts and in the day of his fierce anger. So you get the idea. Even though, as you read the Old Testament, you will find numerous localized, historical day of the Lord judgments, they were always pointing forward to a future time, a time of worldwide, unprecedented judgment and catastrophe, which God was going to pour out upon this Christ-rejecting world. Why? 
Well, very simply, when God created the world, He gave it over into the hands of Adam and Eve, right? They were supposed to take control of it. They were supposed to watch over the creation uh, and just keep it, you know, and just kind of guard it and so on. But you remember as Satan took the form of a, of a serpent and beguiled Eve and she ate the forbidden fruit, he gave to, uh, she gave to Adam and he ate. In that act of disobedience, not only did man fall because he became a, a sinner now, so he fell from fellowship with God. His fellowship with God was severed. God is perfect. God is holy. God cannot bear to look upon sin, let alone have fellowship with sin. So man's fellowship with God was broken. He became a fallen sinner. But also man gave control of this world into Satan. So Satan became the god of this world. He became the prince of the power of the air. He's the one right now who is controlling the world system. But he's a usurper. He has no real legal right to this world because it belongs to God. And so before the Lord can restore the world, before he can, as Peter said, times of restoration can come from the Lord, before God can cause the kingdoms of this world to become the kingdoms of our God and His Christ, as we read about in Revelation 11, He's got to first judge and cleanse the earth of the God of this world and all of His followers, the usurpers, who have seized power and control of what belongs to God before Jesus can come back and establish His rightful throne on the earth, a kingdom of righteousness, and so on, right? It's interesting, when Jesus talked about the millennial kingdom, he said, in the regeneration, you will sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel, speaking to his disciples. The word regeneration there in the Greek is a word that literally means back to Genesis. Genesis means beginning or origin. And the millennial kingdom is all about taking the world back before the fall. A time when... God and man had wonderful fellowship with each other, where God was truly, you know, we talk about on our money and things, you know, that, uh, you know, we're a nation under God. Well, those are nice words, but they don't really, they don't really, are not really true anymore. But back in Israel's day, at one point, the people were a theocracy. They were truly a nation under God. And that didn't last that long. But there's coming a time when God is going to bring the world back to a place where God is truly governing in the affairs of man, where Jesus Christ is reigning visibly and literally from Jerusalem over the whole world, and he will lead a kingdom of true righteousness. So we look forward to that day. But before that day comes, the Lord has to judge the devil and his followers, the usurpers. He's got to cleanse the earth through judgment before Jesus can come back and establish his kingdom. Now, and, and put your thinking caps on, because I do not want to confuse anybody, but I think I might. I'm going to try my best not to, all right? Try to follow me with this Day of the Lord stuff. The Day of the Lord, I believe, will begin with the tribulation period. The last seven years. When is the tribulation period going to officially begin? With the coming of the Antichrist... Who signs a what with Israel? Peace treaty, a covenant, right? Remember the first seal that Jesus broke. Who came on the scene first? A rider on a white horse. Who do we say that was? The Antichrist. So the Antichrist has to come onto the world scene uh, in the sense of taking power, 
given he's given authority given power at one point i believe he's alive right now where is he we don't know who is he we don't know people speculate we don't know i believe he's alive right now and there's going to come a point when when jesus christ of course breaks the first seal he is going to rise the antichrist to a position of power and authority that the world is going to give him why do they give him this authority We don't know. We can only speculate. Maybe there's some kind of a limited nuclear exchange in the world, and the earth is brought to the brink of nuclear destruction, coupled with the fact that millions of people have just disappeared all over the world, causing chaos and confusion. And the world is at a point where they're just screaming for somebody to take over and to bring some kind of of normalcy back to, to to the planet Earth. Perfect time for the Antichrist to be thrust into power. So when he comes, he's going to Make a covenant with Israel. That officially begins the last seven years. And I believe that officially begins the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord will begin with the Antichrist signing this covenant with Israel. And it's going to last all the way through the Millennial Kingdom. And I'll talk about that more in a moment. It's just important you understand this. We talk about the day of the Lord, all right? This was a Jewish concept. You've been listening to Day by Day, the verse-by-verse Bible teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel in Elk Grove Village, Illinois, with Pastor Phil Ballmeyer. Today's message, as well as many other studies, can be heard and downloaded free of charge from our website at daybydayradio.org. From our website, you can contact us, order resources, read Pastor Phil's blog, and also subscribe to our daily podcast. We hope you'll pay us a visit. And remember to join us for Day by Day, Monday through Friday, here on this station. Thanks again for listening, and please join us again next time as we continue to study God's Word. Until then, may the Lord richly bless you and guide your steps as you walk with Him day by day. day, by day.